Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Everyone around me is drinking less, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, or I've moved to the West Coast, or people are just becoming more aware of the health impact of alcohol. It's likely a combination of all three, but more and more, people are opting out. They're deciding that alcohol does not serve them. They're skipping happy hours, they're passing on the wine with dinner, and a Gallup poll released in August supports this trend, at least in the U.S., 62% of adults under 35 say that they drink. When they first did this in the early 2000s, 72% of adults said that they drank. So that's a 10% decrease, which is significant. Gen Z is drinking less and less. The data also supports this. And so what we're seeing is that people have simply decided that alcohol is not for them. And the reasons vary. Alcohol is a toxin. And I'm not sharing this fact with you to urge you to drink less because I drink. My husband just made me a delicious cocktail last night, a whiskey sour. He did a cherry bourbon whiskey sour, which is like my favorite. But I've never really been a big drinker. I'm one of those people that drinks when presented with alcohol or when the social occasion calls for it. Team drinks, a birthday party, a dinner party. You also begin to realize how much socializing as an adult is constructed around drinking. Even professional culture is constructed around drinking. Now, I know I just said that alcohol is a toxin, which is a fact, but in reasonable amounts, and those amounts vary from person to person, alcohol can also make you happy. It produces endorphins. It can help you relax. It can be an enjoyable part of your life. But I do want to speak to the negative health impacts of alcohol. Alcohol has been proven to negatively impact the quality of your sleep, your overall brain health, and in the short term, mental clarity. Alcohol negatively impacts your skin because it creates inflammation in the body. Alcohol is also really hard on your digestive system, so it can lead to all sorts of gut issues and digestive issues. It's Alcohol is not a substance that generally does many favors for your physical well-being. I have personally found that when I drink more than two cocktails in a night, I find waking up to be difficult the following day, and I find that my motivation takes a serious hit. It's just something I've done socially for so long, and so... I just drink, but I haven't put a lot of intention around not drinking because it's something that everyone around me was doing. Again, until recently, when more and more people around me and close friends, like my good friend Amelia, who you'll hear from soon, would just simply say, I'm not drinking. I'm opting out. I'm going to get a non-alcoholic beverage. And more and more businesses are launching to provide alternatives. Think about Third Space. It's a series of alcohol-free bar events in New York and Brooklyn, created to gather people without the pressure of drinking. In today's episode, you'll hear from Melanie Masserin, founder of Gia, who created an alcohol-free aperitif that feels just as much fun as the alcoholic beverages we've come to associate with celebration. You're going to hear from three different women with distinct experiences around alcohol and how they're trying to change their relationship with alcohol and two women who are trying to change our collective experience with alcohol as well. Now, we can't talk about sobriety or abstaining from alcohol without speaking about addiction. Many people who choose not to drink aren't battling addiction, but many are. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, I don't have any addiction issues when it comes to alcohol, but I do believe that we all have our vices. It may not be alcohol, but maybe it's online shopping or sugar. Whatever your vice may be, we all have things that we use to cope with the stress of daily life, things that we may turn to to heal traumas. And a lot of these coping mechanisms are outdated and do not serve us. And that's a lot of what I'm investigating in this episode and in these conversations with these women. One of the big themes and takeaways from these conversations is how much language plays a role in how we define ourselves. The term being sober holds a lot of weight. Some people don't feel comfortable saying they're sober if they haven't battled addiction. We have terms like sober curious and dry January. But how do you define your relationship with alcohol when it isn't so clear cut? After this break, you're going to hear from my good friend, Amelia Glum, who I was in college with, and she's been on the podcast and she's shared her story before. Her decision to not drink has been incredibly inspiring to me. You're going to hear from Katie Aluwatoyan, who after her own experience with alcoholism and getting sober founded Sober Black Girls Club as a safe space for Black women battling addiction. And then you're going to hear from Melanie, the founder of Gia, who is on a mission to take the word drinking back from alcohol. I think you all are going to really enjoy this episode. It's given me so much to reflect on. 
You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. The first person I wanted you all to hear from was my good friend, Amelia Glum. She is someone who's decided that in her personal life, alcohol was no longer serving her. But it's a hard boundary that she's kept even in professional settings where she's urged to drink and be part of the team. I really admire the way she's made this decision for herself, and I wanted her to share more on the podcast. Amelia, welcome back to Naked Beauty. Excited to chat with you. When I knew we were doing this topic about alcohol and sobriety, I was like, who better to discuss this with than Amelia? I'm so grateful to be back, Brooke. Thanks for having me again. We went to college together and would do double shots of Bacardi 151, just like truly wretched. And now you are in a space in 2024 where you very rarely drink. And I'm following you in my journey of drinking less and less. And I want to hear about how your relationship to alcohol has changed over time. Absolutely. I, I think certainly with age, hangovers get worse. The punishment for drinking increases. But even more than that, I found that if I was having just one drink casually at a dinner, my mood, my energy, my vibration was noticeably lower the next day. Mm. And I kept seeing this pattern. I'm like, wait, why am I doing this at all? It's just a habit at this point. It's not something that's serving me in my life. It's not enhancing my life. So what if we just stop? I mean, the way that we've been socialized to conflate any gathering of friends or going out with drinking, I really do think back to college and what was that wretched bar that we went to? Rudy's awful the bar. The renowned late night spot. Renowned. But it was just like you would do shots and you would just drink a cup of whatever and you would right. black out and then feel terrible that even though we were young. I mean, didn't you feel terrible the next day? Terrible. Absolutely terrible. But I, I think it felt like the rhythm of college to have a hangover day or days. And yeah, I, I absolutely cherish my time far too much now to waste it feeling horrible anxious. And it's a domino effect, right? Because it's not just that you're feeling hungover. Now I'm ordering DoorDash and I'm ordering a burger and fries right. and I'm not working out and I'm not seeing nature and I'm not getting in the sunshine and like doing all of the things that really enhance my quality of life, lift up my spirit and make me feel good. And it's not just even that one day, it continues for multiple days after. So it's just for me an easy decision to stay away from at this point. So right now, how often do you drink? Would you say it's once a month? Definitely less than that. Oh, wow. I would say I drink at my friend's wedding. It's the last time that I can remember. And I drank at like this beautiful Michelin star dinner. They had a fantastic cocktail menu. I'm like, I want to see what concoction they come up with for a, a cocktail once every few months, maybe. And how long have you been drinking this infrequently? A couple years. What have you noticed has changed for you since you've stopped? I get more out of my weekends. I spend time on activities that really nurture and enrich me, whether that be doing a little extra learning, working on my side hustle, getting out on a hike in nature, spending more present quality time with my friends. I also am someone who has anxiety and moves through anxiety from time to time. And I have fewer intense periods of that because alcohol is not in my life. It's a marked difference. And for me, I think that was probably the original biggest driving factor is like, I hate feeling anxious. This is an on button for not worth it. Absolutely not worth it. 
language wise, I think this is one of the things that people struggle with. What to call yourself when you have this relationship to alcohol? There's sober curious. There's sober. <laughs> Obviously, we have the language of dry January. People say, oh, I'm doing dry January. And suddenly they have the language to say, I'm not going to drink. That's become something that we all kind of know and understand. There's California sober, which is a term yeah. that you hear a lot when you move out here. How do you define your relationship with alcohol? If someone asks you, oh, are you going to have a drink? I don't really put a label on it. I just okay. say, I'm not really drinking right now. I don't really like alcohol. Uh, I would never want to use the word sober because I have so much respect for people who are on a true sobriety journey who have come through addiction to find their way out. And I would never want to misuse that for a choice I've made. I, I think it undervalues the hard work they've done to get there. That's a really powerful point. With your drinking, I know you were saying that anxiety increased, but did you also have a point where you felt like alcohol was becoming a vice or something you were leaning on in a way that wasn't serving you? Not alcohol. No, I would say I probably belong more in like the food category. I'm a super emotional eater and I know that that's how I deal with like stress. Alcohol wasn't so much that it really was just a bad habit. I will say something I noticed about myself with alcohol is I if I had more than two drinks, I didn't really have a good off switch. Mm -hmm. I was just wired to keep going. And it, it never got so out of hand, but it's certainly something that I didn't like at all and made me want to stay away from it even more. Yeah. You have a pretty social job in that you're kind of around sales teams and with gatherings of people drinking. Yeah. In work settings, when you're offered a drink or when everyone's drinking, do you just get like a sparkling water? How do you handle that? I do get a sparkling water with lime and hope that if someone didn't hear me order it, they can think it's just a cocktail because honestly, I've found work socializing events to be the most difficult places for me to hold that boundary, not because I want to drink. It's like other people continually push me on that boundary. I'm like, why do you care? It's a Monday night. I don't want to have a cocktail. If you feel insecure about your drinking, go look in the mirror and have a conversation with yourself. It has nothing to do with me. Right. I don't want to drink right now and stop pressure. Stop asking me. I, it really gets on my nerves when they don't let it go. Like, I'm so grateful to have a group of friends that respect and admire my boundary and would never push it. So it's so weird to me when my colleagues do consistently. That is really bizarre. So you've been in situations where you make it clear that you don't want to drink and then other people say like, please drink. Like, why do they want you to drink? What's it to them? Exactly. That's a great <laughs> question, Brooke. I wish I knew the answer. Okay, final question. Advice for people that want to try, maybe they say, let me just try a month of not drinking. What are some tips to kind of stay the course? Uh, I think look for something fun on the menu. I'm so used to having a nice cocktail with a beautiful meal. Most restaurants these days, we're lucky in California, have a cool mocktail option. Get that. It's not like you just need to drink tap water the whole time. Look for a mocktail. Or I also love a sparkling water. I think that really satisfies something for me. But give yourself a fun drink option. It does, it's not tap water or booze. Like There's a lot in between. I would say just be mindful of your habits and be mindful of when you feel triggered to reach for it. And then evaluate that relationship. Are you doing it because you're running away from stress and anxiety? I heard a quote recently that really resonated. It said, drinking today steals happiness from tomorrow. And for me, that was so much my experience. So is there a moment where you can reflect and say, is it worth it to have a worse day tomorrow to have this drink now? Yes. Well, I thank you for inspiring me because every time we hang out and you're like, I'm not drinking, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to drink either. I don't have to drink. Um, <laughs> I love so that. Thank you. You're certainly making a positive impact on me to drink less and less because I am with you. It does not really serve me. I like a nice cocktail every now and then, but it's not something that I feel like I really need to have in my daily life. So thank you for that inspiration. My pleasure. I'm so glad you found it so. Up next, you're going to hear from Katie, the founder of Sober Black Girls Club, a 501c3 organization that provides resources and support to black girls, women, femmes, and non-conforming folks practicing sobriety, in recovery, or considering it. I do have to give a slight trigger warning for this conversation. There are mentions of childhood trauma and alcoholism. You probably already knew we were going to talk about alcohol addiction based on her being the founder of Sober Black Girls Club. 
but I do want to be mindful. This is a sensitive topic and you would prefer to skip over it. Please feel free to skip over the next 20 minutes and join us on the other side of the interview. It's been really important for Katie to share her personal story as part of the destigmatizing work that needs to be done around alcoholism and the way that it affects Black women in particular. I'm so grateful to Katie for sharing more of her story with the Naked Beauty community. So Katie, I'm so excited to speak to you for this episode because one of the things that you've been so clear about in your work is that sobriety looks different for Black women. And there's a lot of work to make spaces inclusive, but what you actually believe is that there need to be dedicated safe space for Black women to negotiate the relationship with alcohol and drugs and sobriety. So I'd love to hear why you think it's important to create that space. Well, to be honest, my drinking took a left turn right after I graduated from law school. And within those two years of me being in active addiction, going through therapy, seeking therapy, I there were so many truths and beliefs and misbeliefs and thought processes that I had ingrained that led me to cope and self-function with alcohol, that led me to this Point, right? Some of it was how I saw my work in terms of productivity, in terms of accomplishments. All those things are great to have the nice car, to have the, the house, the degrees. However, the values of like self-love, respect, what does that look like? What does it look like when I'm not accomplishing, what I'm not doing, what I'm not producing? That was all missing. And when I left law school, started working, I was put into this nine to five setting where I wasn't constantly doing, you know, in school, you're, you're doing your classes, you're working, you're the president of this club, so you have so much going on. Now I was put in the setting where like, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know how to take care of myself or, or function. Even though I had the job, the money, the car, there was a lot missing. And I share that with you to say, a lot of black women, a lot of black girls can relate to that, right? Yes. One of the things to that point that you talked about on your incredible Instagram account, which is a fabulous resource, you said that during the pandemic, you got flooded with DMs from Black women saying, because we are in a pandemic and I'm not constantly producing, I'm not constantly working, yes. I'm now really struggling with my alcohol intake. Yes. And and that's what SBGC, that's the space that we offer. Yeah, the, the goal is to put the bottle down but it's also to be able to be happy and okay and with ourselves when there's nothing or no one around and not feel like we have to fill that void with substances, right? Many, many folks were abusing and misusing alcohol and other substances during the pandemic because they didn't know what to do. And that just shows you like where we are as a society, but especially for a lot of like black women, black girls who generally are maintaining and, and running in a household and then they're running and, and functioning at work, oftentimes high positions, it can take a toll of when I'm not doing something, who am I? Okay. That's the space that SBGC provides for its members to understand and get down to the nitty gritty of that. Yes. You talked about abusing and misusing alcohol. How, how does one know when they are in that point of I'm abusing this substance versus just enjoying it? First and foremost, it looks different for everyone. I will say that. However, a big indicator is one, when you don't want to use or drink, you still find yourself doing it. You can't go a couple of days or however so, this limit that you give yourself. But also another huge indicator is the consequences. So even if you drink like one day a week and every time you drink or you use something horrible happens and you pers persist, you continue to drink or use, that's another big indicator that you might have a, a, an issue with substances. And at that point, it could probably be like a physical manifestation, which would take going to a doctor and seeking like professional help. You talk about being a really high achiever all throughout your life. Even in high school, you were a high achiever and you found a lot of validation that way. But I also know from hearing you speak about your past experience that the home life wasn't necessarily stable and there was some trauma there. For sure. Just growing up thinking that this is just, you know, I'm African, I'm Muslim. This is just the way that we do things, right? How we discipline children, how 
we take the wishes and the attributions and thoughts of children, how we value children in general, mm-hmm. right? I think like we're shifting that narrative and we're shifting our experiences and the way we handle children. But back in the day, you know, you just weren't, you weren't supposed to be seen, you weren't supposed to be heard. Um, and you just had to really just do well in school. And as I now in my healing process, you realize that that's not it. Like, you know, as a child going, going into a woman, everyone has dreams, attributions, talents that need to be explored, want to be explored. Sometimes it doesn't look like going to law school or even going, it doesn't involve school or higher education at all. So yes, definitely. And I didn't realize how much my childhood experiences with discipline. Do you mind if I ask how you were disciplined? Hit. <laughs> like, yeah. Hit. Yeah. 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 And that's common, right? I mean, it's now and now becoming, there's a lot of education around it. And, but I mean, to be hit as a young person for making mistakes, I would imagine that that sort of develops a sense of anxiety and how did it manifest for you? Well, for me, it manifested definitely like growing a temper, I guess you can say that. Mm. So me being depressed and having like anxiety, but my depression and anxiety didn't look like what you think, what we normally would think depression and anxiety would like. I'm just like staying home and, and in the sheets. It's like, no, just always being kind of angry, upset, mad, just always on 10. That's what it manifested physically for me. I was reading a study recently that depression in Black women looks different and it it can often show up as like attitude or irritability, which I thought was so interesting. I believe I saw that study too. I'm talking about it for the past year, but it makes a lot of sense, especially as like Black women who oftentimes don't, don't have that thing to lay back on. So if I'm feeling depressed and I want a couple of days off really we don't have that like how are we going to pay the rent how's our phone bill going to get paid how is this going to get paid so we don't have that cushion that a lot of other demographics do have to address depression or address anxiety so we are just moving through the world irritable like you said upset and yeah you know when you have so much going on in our mental and emotional well-being but we can't tend to it we're tending to the physical manifestations of our lives it can translate to being irritable and like you said like having attitudes and that was often the case for me but i didn't know until i entered recovery and started really looking at the Mm. practices and beliefs of my life and it was a lot that I just was flabbergasted about and didn't know. You started drinking in law school, right? No, I started drinking in undergrad, actually. Undergrad, okay. So in college. Yes, college. And then law school. Yeah, <laughs> law school was where, at this point, I, you know, you're invited to drink, like, every day, school events, firm events, internship events. So that's where I took a dive. Again, I come from, like, a Nigerian Muslim family, so there was just no alcohol around me. There was just no way to get it. There's no interest. However, when I first had it, I realized how magical it can be until eventually it's a misery. When you did start drinking, what type of relief did it provide for you? It just felt like I didn't have all the, these thoughts running through my brain, through my mind. I didn't feel, I just felt like I could relax and just, just let my hair down. From day one, even though I started drinking in college, from day one, my relationship with alcohol was always problematic. Because once I saw what it could do, the relief, I would drink to like black out, to mm. not be here. To not and be- yes, when I drank in college, it was also drinking to black out. Like it was, there was no like, oh, let's enjoy some drinks. It was like, we are on one way street to not remembering the night, which is honestly, looking back so deeply unsafe as well, but it just becomes normalized, right? It's just like you just get together with your friends and you just drink to oblivion. Yes. And I I always tell people, you know, if you're lucky, you'll leave your college setting or whatever uh, post undergrad you did and you will be able to function. And and the hope is and the goal is for a lot of people, you'll leave college and you'll be able to decrease your drinking, right? You're able to find hobbies and, and other coping mechanisms and tools that you can use when you're stressed out however that's not the case for everyone so even though yes i always tell people yeah it's college you know have fun but you your our body adapts to the alcohol and we just don't know there's just not that much evidence and science on how can someone drink just as much as i do and i enter addiction and this person um, doesn't yeah there's like pre prerequisite like to, like little line marks that we can say if you experience trauma you're more likely to abuse alcohol if you have run through this you're more likely but that's not 
always bulletproof, right? It's not just 100% correct. I always tell f folks not to be a hater. Have fun in college, but it can really lead to um, some serious uh, consequences after if, if you're not safe. And yeah, safe yeah. with drinking. But again, you were extremely high functioning, even though you were drinking a lot. So you were able to get into law school, get through law school. How do people kind of, again, I know you said sometimes it's consequences after drinking, but a lot of people may not realize they have a problem if they are consistently achieving and showing up for work every day. And maybe they seemingly have their life together. Yeah, I mean, girl, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to look about. You have to look at your life and see and understand how, what are the changes and 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 what part has alcohol, other substances played in the changes of your life. Example, waking, right? Rapid waking. I was gaining a lot of weight at the end of my addiction, and I didn't realize. I didn't put two and two together. Like, okay, it's it's the alcohol. You know, heartburn you know, drink problems. Alcohol is a toxin. <laughs> like, so yes, we drink it socially, but it's a toxin to our body. So your body is going to talk to you. Your skin, you know, acne, during my addiction, my acne was horrible. It was, my skin was so horrible. Hair loss, hair falling out. So you have to just really be honest with yourself, how you are feeling. I think, again, especially as Black people, our ancestors, they were beaten, enslaved, experienced so much violence and still had to wake up at dawn and do A, B, and C. So it's in us to be functional. Like, I think like it's, it's in us. We come from that. Like, that's just what our experiences has been. And I think that um, as we progress as a community and really you know, really take a deep look and, and hone in on our mental and um, emotional well-being, honesty is there. Like, honesty is there, how you feel, the things that, that you're experiencing when no one else is in the room with you, just to be honest. Um, now, Katie, did you have a, as they call it, like a rock bottom moment, like a moment where you were like, okay, I've known this has been a lingering problem, but now it's confirmed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you mind sharing uh, it? If you feel comfortable? Yeah, it was just 2019, I believe, or 18, couldn't keep keep a job. And I'm like a second year attorney. So, you know, generally when you graduate, you become an attorney, you're supposed to like stay at your firm, your job for at least like five years before you move on. I just was moving, you know, New York is a really big, New York City is a really big city. And I was able just to continuously get jobs at different firms, different agencies to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to take a break. And that break led me to even drinking more because I didn't say I was going to take a break from work and get help. I just said I was going to take a break, couldn't afford my apartment, had to move in with my parents, you know, lost my car. So around that time, it was just obvious that I had that I had this problem um, and I needed to do something about it. It was just obvious. Sounds like you had some real physical consequences. How long after sobriety, like after stopping drinking alcohol completely, did you notice because I'm talking to you now, you have beautiful, luminescent, gorgeous skin. Um, you look great. You look very healthy. How long was it until you started noticing your body changing and the physical manifestations changing? Honestly, like within like two weeks, especially with alcohol. For me, it made me really puffy. It made me all like really red. It just made me bloated. That's the word, bloated. Like I constantly looked bloated. And like within like two or three weeks, you can definitely see the less bloating. I will say that once you stop drinking, again, that's just one, that's just doing away with one coping mechanism, right? Or however you use alcohol for in your, in your life, you have to create more coping mechanisms or get new tools to replace the alcohol. So yeah, you know, my skin, my hair stopped falling out, but I just find myself eating more, which is something that I'm currently working on in 2024. So yeah, I'm, you know, the sun came out, but it wasn't like all like sunflowers everywhere daily. No, there's still a lot of internal work that I had to do and that I'm doing now still. How did you navigate coming out of addiction when Sober Black Girls Club did not exist yet? Uh, did you go to AA? What resources did you find? So I don't know if a lot of folks don't know this, but while I created Super Black Club while I was like in my addiction, it wasn't supposed to, it wasn't a nonprofit when I created it. It was just a blog for me to document my experiences 
in sobriety and just to connect with other people. So at that point, I was still in and out, like still. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so I was still experiencing, yeah, I was still experiencing the woes of addiction. And it wasn't until the pandemic that folks like, can we just get on Zoom and and have a chat and and just talk? And then that's what really 2020 um, led to Sober Black Girls Club becoming a collective and eventually a nonprofit. But I actually created Sober Black Girls Club while I was going to 12 Steps, you know, not too pleased with my experiences. Yes. What is the 12 step program like? Is it a program that you're able to talk about? Generally, it's an environment for folks to come in and share about their experiences and hopefully pass along some encouragement and motivation to each other. So you say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Everyone says hi. I would imagine that there's a lot of power in sharing your story in a non-judgmental space, right? My issue with the 12-step rooms, and I know that now since things have changed, where they do have BIPOC meetings and women's meetings, however, there would be this rule where you couldn't talk about outside issues. And basically outside issues are issues that have to do with like race or culture. And that rule is meant, is created to protect a certain demographic of people. So when you say like, you know, you being black has nothing to do with your relationship to alcohol, that's actually not true. That's not true. A lot of folks that I know, especially folks in 12 Steps, rooms when I went to rehab, they were aware of their family lineage with alcoholism, 12 steps, right? Here I am in a family where no one wants to talk about anything when it comes to like mental health and even community at that point. Again, I do recognize that we have changed, but no one wants to talk about anything that's affecting mental health, affecting alcoholism. So where do I turn to? Who do I go to? How do I get help when no one wants to even be honest that this is this is an actual thing. When I first started Sober Black Girls Club, I would have girls like message me. Folks wouldn't even comment. Like they would, I would post something and they would DM me a response. I'm like, okay, this is weird. But really this is just the state that at that time, 2018, 19, we didn't, we didn't want to talk about it or, or share. That's so. why I really commend you for sharing your story so openly because that's the only way to overcome shame, right? Like to just hear people say plainly, this happened to me, it doesn't make me a bad person, it doesn't make me less than, these were just the circumstances that led me to this and how I've navigated it. For sure. And when you yeah. when you talk about your experiences, you not only empower yourself, you just empower other people to also feel like they, it's okay, they can get help. Like if you can get one day sober, I can get two days sober. The power of the tongue is really, really, it's, it's powerful. And it's an important tool, especially when you're building community. So when you're in certain groups that say you can't talk about certain things, it's kind of like you're, you're taking away some of my power for me to tell my truth, right? And that's why SBGC exist and hopefully more places more communities like SBGC will exist for other people other demographics as well so they can get whatever healing they need culturally socially and so forth what do you find is the most helpful to people that are just coming to terms with their addiction so they're at the very early stages of knowing they want something to change um but not sure where to start i would say two things um i think going to a meeting not even saying that you have to follow like not even saying that you have to follow a certain program or do A, B, and C, but just going to a meeting and knowing and hearing that you're not alone, it will empower you, right? So if you think that you have a drinking problem, but you've never heard anyone else say they have a drink problem or admit to it, you might feel like you're the only one. Just go to a meeting, a toss that meeting. I'm not even saying you have to even do the program and just listen to the possibility of, of how things are and how things can be once you give up the bottle you pursue this journey of sobriety recovery and also to definitely i will say try your hardest to get professional help outpatient services therapy rehab addiction is one of like addiction is one of the mental emotional capacity but there's also a physical component to it so sometimes like yeah i don't want to drink today but you might be itching you might be feeling some type of tingling or tingling sensation withdrawal symptoms so the your best bet will be to just go see 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 your doctor your primary tell them what you're experiencing you know see what they can recommend but i will say 
getting professional help, just starting there to me is a game changer. And because for, for me, when I was in my addiction, I just wanted to get rid of it. So I did everything mm-hmm. and anything I had to do. And the thing that I wish I would have done sooner was just to go see a doctor um, mm-hmm. and get professional help. Did you tell your friends and your family? Yes. How did that conversation go? Even to, the, to this day, not, like, my friends, family don't ask, like, they don't know my anniversary. They, wow. they, yeah, it's, it's really, it's weird. But I just feel that some things are just hard for some folks to, to grasp, to understand yeah. and confront. So it's just like my friends and my family are not active in my recovery. They do support some of clubs, like fundraisers. I will say that. Thank you. But other than that, they're not like active in my personal recovery. Wow. How can you be actively supportive to a friend who may be struggling with this? I think ask questions. How are you? How are you doing with like the not drinking? I understand why a friend or, or a family member or supporter wouldn't want to feel like they're meddling. A huge component also of sobriety recovery is feeling like we're heard and that we're loved mm. and that we matter, right? So a family members and friends holding one accountable, you know, inquiring shows that they care and i don't know any person who is actively trying to you know beat addiction get sober recovery is going to be upset by a friend asking like so how's it going with like your sobriety you know how are meetings going to can i attend a meeting with you i don't think anyone who's in active recovery is going to have a problem with that now if they're in active addiction they might but that just comes with the journey of them um, reaching acceptance of what they're going through and the help that they actually do need right and i would imagine that it's better to say something and say at least i've said said my piece in a respectful way not like hey i think you're an alcoholic but i've noticed x y and z as your friend i want to be there to support you is this something that you're struggling with at least you've voiced it instead of just keeping it to yourself oh that's yes for sure for sure um if you think that your family member or friend has a problem definitely say something we're not responsible for how it's going to be received but definitely saying something is just the right thing to do now are there people that are part of the sober black girls club that have decided to stop drinking because they feel it's just not for them. For sure. Our club um, comprises of so many different people who are there for so many different things. Some folks attend our meetings. They say, listen, I don't have a substance abuse issue, but I have a terrible relationship with, with sugar. Some mm. folks are saying, you know, they might be that person, like maybe they drink once a month, but every time they drink, something happens and maybe they need support navigating that one event. That happens. We have members who come, who, who attend for different reasons not all known some folks say i just don't want to drink for this month or and we've had folks who during the pandemic said they just don't want to drink until they don't want to drink anymore while we're being quarantined and then and you know after quarantine was out kind of haven't really seen them again because the people come in for different reasons and they're all welcomed as long as it's like within our guidelines then it's fine do you have people that come in for marijuana addiction yeah, for sure. Folks think that marijuana is not addictive, but it's like, I actually know more people who are addicted to marijuana. Well, that's not true. I'm talking about my personal life. So if I didn't have a clock, right? I know more people who cannot wake up, can't eat, can't do this, can't do that without smoking. And I'm not saying this to be judgmental, but that kind of is like, you need it to function. Like that's kind of... um, (laughs) (laughs) addiction um so i have seen that more of our members are coming in to say like okay you know they don't want to rely on this to to wake up to eat to go to work to do a b and c well it's beautiful that you're creating this safe space that's open to people at all levels of their journey and grappling with all types of substances Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on and sharing your story. And I will link to how you can get involved with Sober Black Girls Club, follow the Instagram account, be part of the community in the show notes. I really appreciated hearing Katie's perspective and all of the work that's required to have these honest conversations with yourself about what is serving you. Now, one of the things that continues to come up as I have these conversations is just the realization of how much our alcohol use is social conditioning. At frat parties, they have a rule. There has to be an equally attractive non-alcoholic beverage. So when you have a party, 
you may have your punch with lots of alcohol in it. You may have mojitos. You may have margaritas. You may have a gin and tonic. But you also have to provide an equally attractive non-alcoholic beverage. And when I think about inclusivity and the way that different people move throughout the world, I think about hosting. And even if you're gathering people over to your house for dinner, if you're making beautiful cocktails for everyone that drinks alcohol, and then you have guests that come that don't want to drink for whatever reason, and the only thing you have to offer them is water, that's not such a great experience for them. I think one of the important parts of supporting friends and community that are moving through the space of not drinking is by providing them beautiful alternatives. And Melanie is doing that work with Gia. She's providing beautiful, festive alternatives to drinking that are imbued with soul and personality and incredible taste profiles. The ads are chic and elevated and show people having a really great time. I was really excited to hear more from Melanie about what inspired the brand and what keeps her going. Welcome to Naked Beauty. I'm so excited to chat with you. I love Gia. Like it's such a nice thing to have as an option. I'll very quickly share with you. I was doing a series of holiday parties. You know, it's such a crowded time of year. How many events did you go to this holiday season? Like in the two weeks leading up to Christmas break? So we were having a pretty crazy time of work because a holiday is obviously a big period for us. And then dry January is even crazier. So I limited myself, but I still went to four, which is a lot, I think. Oh, four is honestly, that's a great. <laughs> I went to like 20. And I very quickly realized I would not have the bandwidth and stamina to drink at all of these. Like it just wasn't in the cards for me. I went to a Flamingo Estates event, such a chic brand, just overall obsessed. And they had your spritz, your the Gia spritz as like a beautiful cocktail option for guests. And I was so happy that that was an option. Did you go to the gingerbread house one? Yes, the gingerbread house. I saw you there. I, oh my gosh. I, I was looks so familiar, but I'm finally putting a face to the name. I did not realize it was you. This is, yeah, next time I'll come say hello. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm sure our paths will cross. Now let's talk about drinking alcohol and where you and your friend group are in terms of drinking. Are people around you drinking? Are you drinking socially alcohol? I don't really drink. And I used to even say like, because people always want you to kind of define your sobriety so that they have a label they can put on. People love the container store because we love boxes, like organizing. And I, I feel like I did never quite belonged in one box because I wasn't sober with a capital S and I wasn't like pregnant or didn't have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol or what some would define as unhealthy. And so it was hard to think of not drinking as like purely a choice a few years ago. And I feel like now the conversation is really starting to open up about this. So I would often say I have an annual martini, which is basically equal to I drink almost never. But the truth is, you know, if I had a martini now, because my tolerance is so low, I would be under the table. So a couple of times a year, I'll have wine with my dad in Paris, and that's pretty much it. My friends are drinking less and less and less, and it's hard to know, like, what's my influence? What's uh, being in L.A. where people drive a lot? And I think just health and wellness in general is a, a much bigger focus than in a lot of other cities. But, you know, I had dinner a couple of days ago with people, and three out of four weren't drinking. So it is the first week of January, but still, I'm really seeing a shift. It doesn't mean that anyone has a problem. It's just... We know more about what makes us feel good and what doesn't. And like alcohol just doesn't. I wholeheartedly agree. I want to dive deeper into this middle ground when you're not sober with a capital S, but you also really don't drink and how there's really not a term for it. I feel like there was like a term. It's like a 1950s term. Teetotalers. Have you heard Teetotaler. of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm like, we need to bring this back because sobriety really means something for people that have overcome and struggled with addiction and make a conscious choice to be sober versus people that for health and wellness reasons realize it's not for them. I feel like we haven't yet culturally figured out a term for what this relationship with alcohol is. I know. And, the you know, I, I think that the term sober curious, which is more recent, was a little polarizing because, you know, it was overused. But I think what Ruby Warrington coined the term did is that she kind of allowed people to have this shield, to have this label, to justify, like, you know, at least exploring not drinking. But I wouldn't say that I'm sober curious because I think it sort of implies that you're kind of figuring it out, but I have figured it out. I don't love to drink, you know, and I love the shirt 20 minutes and tipsy and I'm more comfortable making jokes and everyone's like, you're so funny. But then it just, you kind of have to keep drinking and then I just don't want to feel like that in the morning. And I don't know, I feel like even 
two glasses in one evening just are really detrimental to how clear I can feel, you know, the day after and my energy level and my anxiety level. And perhaps there's like a tolerance issue, but, you know, I'm just someone I think I will never really drink again. I'll have a couple of drinks a year for the rest of my life, you know? It's great that you have that clarity and that you are also providing a product that allows people to take that as an option. One of the things that I feel like you're so aware of are the social pressures around drinking. All of the data supports that the non-alcoholic spirits category is growing and is projected to grow more and more, but also that Gen Z is drinking so much less than millennials for drinking, and most of them, one in three of them, are doing it because of their health. What do you think socially has to shift in order for more people to feel comfortable not opting to drink? Well, I think it's two things. The first one is obviously less social pressure to drink, and that is actually happening much faster than I even anticipated. When I was starting GIA, I was really hard-pressed to find anyone to tell me that there was demand for these drinks. I was asking chefs, and they're like, no, no one ever asked for non-alcoholic drinks. And what really tipped me was that whenever I felt comfortable going out to dinner with my friends and saying, actually, I'm not going to drink tonight, almost 100% of the time, someone else at the table would say, you know what, me neither. And so I think that it's really about giving people the permission to participate in a social occasion without the alcohol. And then the second thing, which I sort of just touched on is the supply of alternatives. So I think that the supply really drives the demand and people never asked in restaurants to have non-alcoholic drinks because at best, the best option was a sparkling orange juice or something like that. It's just not a good alternative or not something anyone wants to drink. I mean, I hate the word mocktail because it even has a joke in the name. It's just so infantilizing, you know? It's also like, it's so cutesy. I know your background is French and Italian, which are very, you know, cultures like food isn't made cute the way it is um, in America. The term mocktail itself is just not chic. It's not... You know, it's like you want to go out and you're with your friend and your friend orders a spicy margarita and you're obviously like kind of aware of how much sugar there is. And you're like, okay, I'm going to have a spicy margarita, like not too much sugar and and I guess no alcohol. And they're like, okay, so like a skinny virgin margarita? I'm like, no, that's not for me. I'm absolutely not. Give me water. Right, right. I'll skip the whole embarrassing thing. The ingredients of Gia are incredible. I know you've got yuzu, like fresh ginger. Could you take us through, maybe for the aperitif and the spritz, what the kind of core ingredients are and how people can enjoy these drinks? For sure. Well, now we have two different flavors, but when we started, we only had our original aperitif, which is very much our hero. And the idea was, how do you create something that's akin to, like something that I was prepping? I always say I make Gia for me. And I was thinking, what are my friends ordering when we go out to dinner? And the first drink of the evening, I think, is socially the most difficult, right? Because it's a transition drink. It's the one that makes you kind of transition from work into play and relax and you know, I often say like the best signal of service in a restaurant is how quickly your first drink comes. And then if the food's a bit delayed or whatever, it doesn't matter because everyone's already having a good time, but it doesn't need to be an alcoholic drink, right? Yeah. So it's it's basically like an amaro. So, you know, I was inspired by Campari and how you use a Campari. So not trying to recreate the flavor, but we use the same base as traditional Italian amaros, which is a base of gentian. It's a root from Alps, actually. And so it's dry and it's, you know, refreshingly bitter. It definitely has a kick, citrusy. We import our yuzu from Japan and it's like a concentrate. So a little bit like a Campari, you can sort of make it like a dark red Campari or a light red Campari. We say it's one part Gia, three parts bubbles is our magic formula. I'm definitely more like a one-to-one because I love a strong drink, whether it's alcoholic or not. And sparkling water, tonic. Right now I'm super into the Fever tree yuzu tonic, which, you know, is definitely a little bit sweeter, but is delicious. And then recently we were trying to go for another occasion, which is what do you have at that second drink, which is usually when you would be ordering wine or something that pairs well with dinner. And so we launched Gia Berry. The base of that drink is strawberry, but it's not sweet. It has rhubarb root in it. It has, you know, a fermented tea. So it's our first kind of foray into ferments, but it's low enough to be 0.0%. And it's really delicious. It's tannic, so it has that very satisfying astringency that you would get in like a red wine. If you spritz it, it would be a bit more like a lambrusco. So just, I would do one part berry, one part sparkling water and like see, you know, take it from here basically. But I, I really love this drink and it was really hard to make a flavor that I liked as much as the first one because I'm such a like dry, bitter person. 
And this one is already a favorite. As you're describing these drinks, it's so clear that it's an elevated experience that could be enjoyed at a great restaurant in a party atmosphere. And I think the branding is also a huge part of that. You've really been so intentional about creating like a mood and a feeling for Gia. What is that feeling you want people to have? I want Gia to be a very celebratory brand. And I think that's really important. There's a lot of stereotypes around drinking, especially in the United States that are about sort of like negative, whether it's drinking your sorrows or my least favorite, my, my number one enemy is the wine mom one. And it's like, I can't even describe like how much this gets under my skin. It's why does it bother you? Because I think that it's very limiting. Um, it's very limiting to, especially I think the, all the stigma around like women need to drink to be women, you know, um, and to do all the things that like make us women, which I think should be celebrated. And I want Gia to be not about what's not in the drink, but what's more life you can get if you're drinking this drink. And so for us, it's all about like more, 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 more. It's like we have a very kind of like surreal brand experience. And I always say it's unapologetically bold and bright and loud because we want to be like a celebratory drink. And it's always the opposite growing up in France, which is like any excuse to celebrate. We have a peritivo before dinner. We sometimes have it before lunch. I'm like, it's 1130 a.m. Are you all going to have some rosé right now? And like the answer is yes, you know? And so I think that that's kind of the gear life more so that we're trying to kind of adhere to. I want to hear for you personally, what negative impacts alcohol had on you or said another way, what positive impacts have you found from drinking less? Yeah, well, it's funny because I think a lot of people, they think, oh, like it's messing with my sleep life. So it's getting in the way of X, Y, and Z. I'm going to stop. And so I think it's always harder to kind of like stop something than to, it's harder to build a new habit than to sort of maintain it. Right. And for me, I just kind of had a crazy period of work when I worked at Gossier and without really noticing, didn't drink for six months or so, because I was just like building all these pop-ups, traveling around and like really just super focused on work, not super social. I was never a big drinker to begin with. And then I left that job, which, you know, I love, but obviously these transition moments in between jobs where you like get to go to Pilates at 2 p.m. just because you can and do all these things. It's like, I feel great. And I was being social again. I was like, I don't really want to drink because I have a feeling that it's part of the reasons why I feel great is that I'm not drinking. Yes. I definitely sleep better and I've always struggled with sleep issues. I think I definitely have some hyperactive tendencies and it doesn't help that, you know, I have trouble like chilling really. So definitely help with sleep. I Also, my body completely changed, which is not something that I talk about a lot because I never want people to quit drinking because of like body, you know, issues. And I think we all have our different things. But all throughout college, I always like had a little belly and I always felt really self-conscious and I would wear loose tops. The truth is alcohol in women metabolizes your fat around your stomach. And so that was one thing that after a year, I was like, wow, my body actually completely changed. So that was definitely a positive. And then in general, the biggest thing is the morning fog and even being a light drinker I just had this morning fog you know and it's the reason why you know at Gossier I just like didn't drink because I had to be up early I was working late and the way that I describe it is I I feel like when I was drinking I was operating at 70% without knowing it and now I sort of got these extra 30% back wow so it really did completely transform your physical and mental and emotional and day-to-day I think for me, I find because it is just such a like concentrated sugar experience, definitely energy changes the following day. But I feel like I'm a very naturally upbeat person. But if I've been drinking a lot and then I wake up the next morning, I just feel kind of sad or down for no specific reason. I'm like, I just kind of feel sad. And I guess it's because alcohol is a depressive, right? It's proven to be a depressant and it's the thing that no one talks about. The alcohol marketing budget annually is $2 billion and we're just conditioned to think that alcohol is the life of the party. And I just don't know how it's even possible. You know, you wouldn't be able to spend that budget on cigarettes and it's pretty much the same thing, right? So it is, it's a known depressant for sure. Yes. The other thing that you touched on that I would encourage people to try is I think it's actually amazing to take a very busy period of your life and choose that to be when you don't drink. For me, it was like like 20 holiday parties in 14 days, which is insane. But because I wasn't drinking, I had the energy to do it. And you talk about this very busy period when you're at Glossier doing pop-ups all around the world and not drinking during that time period made you realize how much more energy you had. I feel like it's good to try to see what you're like without it when you're really busy. 
Yeah, and it also doesn't have to be when it's crazy busy because of work period. It could also be all the parties and all the things, right? Because I feel like once you get in the habit of having a substitute, and now so many parties have, yeah, I mean, we give, yeah, to so many events, I want to believe that I think we are the option for a lot of them. So I think it, it helped. It could also be for something really happy, you know, that you're training for, that you're, you want to focus on something. And if you think about like life goals and visions, like all these things that I had wanted to do in my life, I had wanted to learn to surf, I had wanted to learn to play tennis. And I feel like any day after a night of drinking was like not getting any closer to any of these goals because I would just be like going on my day to day doing the best I can. And now I have this like extra plus plus energy, you know, it's like you get time in your life back. It really feels to me that you are living your dream. You're living your purpose. You're helping to make people's lives better. How have you heard from your customers around how Gia's actually I mean, essentially, and it's not being dramatic, change their life. Yeah, we, we hear that all, every night before I go to bed, I go in our Shopify and I read the gift notes from customers that gift each other Gia. And it fuels me because we'll say like, this drink's changed my life. It's helped me get through X, Y, or Z. Like these are very personal messages that we have to write for these people. And it just like every day we get a few, some during the holidays, we get so many. And it's just like, yeah, I do think that on a very small scale, like Gia has made a difference and offered, you know, if not relief for people like joy in a way because they feel like they can go out you know I was hearing so much before like I don't want to go out because I don't want to drink and proving that the two don't have to be mutually exclusive and you can actually do both you can have more in your life this like really I think is the important message to to come across I can't let you go without hearing what is next for Gia what is the future of, of the brand and it could be you know immediately or like 10 20 30 years out I mean, let's go for the 10, 20 years out. You can hear all my hopes and dreams. I hear that when you say it out loud, it happens, right? So I hope there will be like a Gia hotel in the south of France or in Italy. And I hope that Gia will be sold at the little beach kiosk where I grew up in Cannes. And I hope that people will be saying Gia in a lot of different languages and my kids will drink it. So that's the the hope is to build a forever brand. And, you know, I'm half joking about the hotel. I think the goal is to surprise people, delight people, be where they are and like, you know, spend a bunch of different occasions while always creating unique flavors and quality beverages. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm rooting for your success and just so inspired by what you're doing. So thank you for taking the time to share. Thank you for having me. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I've left all three of these conversations feeling so inspired, and January is often a time for reevaluation and for people making decisions about how they want to approach this new year. And many people do a dry January. That's a popular thing where they decide not to drink for the entire month. But I do want to remind you, there's a long runway to figure out these things. It doesn't have to be done in a month or even a year. We should always be taking stock of the way that we're living feels good what no longer feels good, what's no longer serving us, what we could do instead, what some healthier alternatives may be. It's really powerful for us to realize that we all have agency in the choices we make to live our best lives. Thank you all so much for listening to these conversations. This episode was a little bit different for Naked Beauty. It wasn't a long-form beauty interview. It was multiple points of view about a single topic that I was passionate about and that I thought would be interesting for the Naked Beauty community. So tell us how you feel. Email us, nakedbeautypodcast at gmail. 
you can always send me a DM. I do respond to my DMs. You can DM me on Brooke DeVard or Naked Beauty Planet. And I'd love to hear from you all what your relationship with alcohol is if you do find that you're drinking less. And as we do more episodes on single topics, would love feedback from you all on topics you'd like for us to do a deep dive on. I love having these discussions and I thank you all so much for your support. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. If you are not subscribed, tell a friend, leave a review if you love the show. Thank you so much for your support. We will be back next week with a new episode. Today's podcast was produced and edited by MBA Kasanga. Thank you so much for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.